Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. And welcome back to Health Matters, Dr. Ned Hoke today, joined by John Judge and Amy Lindholm who are uh, people involved in the Appalachian Mountain Club. Uh, John Judge is the, uh, I guess he's the staff president, and Amy Lindholm is the, um, I guess you are the staff uh, coordinator to the the, uh, Land and Water Conservation Fund aspect of this uh, this, uh, uh, recent legislation. So um, Right away, what, what we're doing here today, ladies and gentlemen, is we're basically celebrating this, the uh, passage of the Great American Outdoors Act on August 4th. Uh, the, this is a really historic vic- victory for the national parks, and the Appalachian Mountain Club had a significant role in this passage. So maybe whoever wants to start, maybe Amy perhaps, but could be either, tell us about the background of the Land and Water Conservation Fund and kind of how we needed to get to where we are today and how, just sort of in a sweeping way, in general way, how the Great American Outdoors Act intersects with this really wonderful old body of legislation. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so, yes, as you said, I, I work at the Appalachian Mountain Club, but I am uh, kind of the national coordinator for the Land and Water Conservation Fund Coalition, of which the Appalachian Mountain Club is a, is a key lead organization with many, many partners uh, across the country, including in California. Um, so we have all been working together for, a, wow, at least a decade. I've been working on this for a decade. Many people have been working far longer um, on full permanent funding of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Um, and the Land and Water Conservation Fund is what we like to call America's most important conservation and recreation program. Um, it funds a vast diversity of projects all across the country from, you know, iconic national parks, um, you know, your giant sequoias, your Golden Gate National Recreation Area, your Big Sur, um, all the way down to state and local parks um, and also working forests. And so it provides a, a suite of tools for communities to use um, to expand recreation access and also to conserve forests and protect drinking water and protect wildlife habitat um, in the way that works best for them. So it's a really awesome program. It's been around for more than 50 years, but um, the money that's set aside for, for this purpose every year, um, which the Land and Water Conservation Fund was created to set aside uh, royalties from offshore oil and gas development, um, and reinvest a portion of those royalties in natural resource protection. Um, but half of the money that is set aside every year has historically been diverted to other things. Um, so we at AMC and across the LWCF coalition have been working to change that by making the funding both full and permanent. Um, so $900 million a year for conservation and recreation um, and consistently every year. 
So that's what the Great American Outdoors Act does, and, and we're, we couldn't be more thrilled um, that it finally became law um, this past August. Wow. Well, of course, for those of us who love the outdoors and who love all that that enables us to do, um, uh, to give us a little insight in terms of a little... There, you're we're right there in the firing line. What what did it take to to bring this together? How and of course, uh, given the antipathy that the Trump administration seems to have for, um, I should pre- watch what I say. But anyway, the antipathies of the Trump administration. How did it happen that it came together? Can kind of give us a little a little bit of a play by play. What happened? Sure. And, who who was who was important and who got in the way and anything you choose to say about any of that? <laughs> well, you know, this is something that has always had tremendous bipartisan support. It was created with tremendous bipartisan support um, under Democratic and Republican administrations. Um, I think what it took was upping the visibility of the program um, and really connecting the dots for people between the places that they love. Um, that either have been protected by this important fund or that need funding from from the Land and Water Conservation Fund, um, protecting the places that people love and protecting the places that people recreate and use um, and the, the businesses associated with those places, the economic development, the community, um, the community stakeholders, the, the quality of life, connecting those things on the ground with this kind of obscure federal program and source of funding with an acronym that nobody remembers, um, connecting it first to that and then connecting that to what needs to happen in Washington, D.C. for it to be fully and permanently funded. So there were great champions on both sides of the aisle um, in both the Senate and the House um, who came together to make this happen. And, And you're right, you know, getting the Republican Senate, the Democratic House, and this administration to agree on something is um, kind of a minor miracle, uh, but it's it's something that a lot of folks can agree on because the outdoors really unifies us. And, and this coalition is comprised of stakeholders um, in the business community, in the climate community, in the um, hunting and fishing community, you know, timber companies, um, tourism and economic development boards and businesses, um, you know, municipalities trying to protect their drinking water and recreationists of all stripes from, you know, motorized recreation to, to wilderness advocates. So um, when you find something that so many people can rally around, um, you really can, can build that kind of bipartisan <laughs> support when you up the visibility. Right. Well, still, uh, it, like you say, the, the name is, is, is not the sort of thing that you know, falls off your lips easily, and it, it, I can easily imagine. So help our listeners understand a little bit more now the 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 fund is is a federal fund, so these is this then a fund that then the the different parks or the different organ the different uh, uh, park L, uh, organizations do they then apply to this fund for funding? Give us a little feeling about how it actually works as a as a as a functional matter. How how does how does each sure. in, how does each individual because there's obviously a lot of players, and you just outlined some of them. How do they access mm-hmm. these funds? And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's very decentralized. There's actually like nine different sub-programs underneath the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Okay. And some of them, as you said, are those federal agencies, the Park Service, the Fish and Wildlife Service, the Forest Service, 
um, and the Bureau of Land Management, and then there are different state and local grant programs under the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Um, and so some of the funds go straight to the state of California um, and are distributed by population. That's um, what we call stateside grants or um, state and local assistance grants. Mm-hmm. And the state of California can then distribute those grants according to their own state recreation plan to the state parks, local parks, playgrounds, swimming pools, mm-hmm. and municipalities apply for those funds. Um, oftentimes, it takes municipalities and local governments coming together with land trusts and other stakeholders to put together a project, whether it's a federal side project with a willing landowner um, that has an in-holding in, you know, in a national forest or national park, or whether it's a municipality looking for a state and local grant, um, or whether it's a timberland owner looking to do an easement on working forest lands to protect those lands. Um, oftentimes there are nonprofit partners and local government partners that come together to access those funds. Okay. Well, now, John Judge, uh, tell us or give us a begin to give us a flavor of the Appalachian Mountain Club's role in this process. I mean, we, we've got Amy, who's connected to you, obviously very deeply connected to you as well, but but let's speak more broadly about the club itself in terms of how the club used its influence, its political muscle, and its very deep and long association with this topic in general. So give us an overview taste, if you would, uh, uh, John Judge. Sure, we will do. Uh, yeah, for First and foremost, as, as you said, the um, AMC has been involved, uh, you know, supporting and advocating for the Land Water Conservation Fund for decades, and it has been uh, instrumental in everything that we do in, in all of the states that we work in. You know, from the, the volunteer work on the Pacific Crest Trail to the work around Boston on the Bay Circuit Trail to the work in the White Mountains. Uh, at our huts and lodges uh, in New York and New Jersey. Uh, so thinking about um, the Land Water Conservation Fund uh, as, a, as a $900 million a year uh, catalyst uh, for the outdoors and the health of the outdoors, whether it be a, a park or a memorial or a trails network. Uh, so we're fortunate that we've always been uh, nonpartisan and, you know, uh, I, I, I don't take any of the, the bows in this victory, um, but I really, you know, look at, look at Amy. Amy Lindholm just did an outstanding job uh, running the coalition uh, for us, the Land Water Conservation Fund Coalition, over 1,000 members. And then, you know, in doing that, uh, we worked to engage uh, thousands of folks. So there were, there were AMC members. They were neighborhoods and community groups. They were municipalities. But people uh, spoke up and called their uh, respective uh, House member or United States senator and said, look, we believe in this. And so the fact that it was reappropriated last year and fully um, uh, sorry, reauthorized last year and fully uh, funded this year is just it, it, it's amazing, and to think about <laughs> yes, yes. right, absolutely. Uh, to, to think about the opportunity we have now to leverage uh, that work, you know, moving forward and getting more people active in the outdoors, which, as you know, is a big part of, of who AMC is. Right. So, 
Okay, so this is a this is an this was the Land and Water Conservation Fund it was enacted in 1965, it, and so it's been around. Like as as uh, Amy was saying, it's been around for a long time, and uh, it as she said, it's been various. It's been funded in a very uh, in insecure manner, and so now with this perpetuity funding, um, how how secure do you feel that is? I mean, is that when and Amy perhaps would or I don't know either of you. It's one thing. To, you, you, so many things to be seems to be shifting in Washington. It's hard to imagine there's anything that has perpetuity to it, and yet your your literature here says that it's a perpetuity. So, how how tight is the knot on that? As far as your as far as yeah. you can tell. Um, well, you know, nothing is ever permanent, right? Congress can always change its mind and right. reverse right. whatever it's done. Right. Um, but. The, the Great American Outdoors Act and the full permanent funding of LWCF means that they would have to actively undo it. Mm -hmm. It will never just sunset. Um, <clears throat> one problem that we had in pursuing this goal um, was that the underlying law actually expired in mm -hmm. 2015 mm -hmm. um, because it, it was due to sunset after 25 years. Mm -hmm. it, um, it was originally um, put in place for 25 years. It was re-upped with zero controversy. Um, and then another 25 years took us to 2015 when, you know, nothing has no controversy anymore, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Everything becomes politicized. Right. So, um, so a small but vocal minority of folks who just don't like the federal government um, started kind of making noise about this being a federal land grab and, and made it um, seem more political than it is. And so we had to overcome that and really educate people about what this program was about. Mm -hmm. um, and the more we did that, the more the support grew. So mm -hmm. in 2015, we were able to resuscitate it um, and get it reinstated for just three years. Um, but during those three years, we educated people more and more. And then when it expired again in 2018, then we were able to build momentum for a permanent reauthorization. Wow! And 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 that success a year ago, um, you know, seeing people come together and Congress do its job, like so invigorating for folks, um, and not just folks in the conservation community, but members of Congress were so excited to be able to actually do something. Uh, come together with the other <laughs> side and get something done wow. that really mattered to people at home. Wow. That they were eager to do it again. Yay. Um, so, you know, yeah, yeah, it was really inspiring. Um, yeah, I remember standing in um, Senator Manchin's office of West Virginia the day after permanent reauthorization passed in 2019. Um, and he's ranking Democrat on the Senate Environment and Natural Resources Committee. Okay. Um, and had steered steered that um, through the Senate, mm -hmm. and he was so excited about it. He said, "All right, well, let's now let's start the funding." Like the next day, he he was not interested in resting on his laurels or Good celebrating the victory. He wanted immediately to get out, get back to work, and double down on uh, making the funding permanent. And and that's exactly what we did. So, great, great. Uh, well, Amy, you yeah, you, you he did was far from the only one. You did, yeah. Well, you did mention one one member. So, educate our listeners a little bit further. Sure. Put a put another few names out there. What what sure. uh, what Congress people or senators or who were the people who stood up as that that was did a good job for you? Yeah, oh, there are so many. Uh, it's really well, hard. It's hard because we need to like choose our favorites. But I will say, so Senator Manchin, 
um, was the ranking Democrat on that committee. He took over from Senator Cantwell of Washington, okay. who was a tireless champion for this oh, good. Um, for, for many years um, and, and was instrumental in making it happen. Um, on the Republican side, Senator Daines and Senator Gardner um, really worked hard to get this done and, and to get the administration on board. Um, they were critically important. Senator Burr of North Carolina is a longstanding champion of the Land and Water Conservation Fund, as mm-hmm. is uh, both of the main senators, Senator Collins and Senator King, um, have worked so hard on this. Senator Shaheen of New Hampshire, uh, the California senators have been wonderful. Senator mm-hmm. Harris has been uh, very active on the city park side of it um, mm-hmm. and championing the, the piece of LWCF that specifically targets city parks. Um, so it's it's really been great. On the House side, um, <clears throat> you know, we had um, a real dedicated group of folks on the, uh, in the Republican caucus who've been working on this for quite some time and saving the program. Um, from, you know, from the Mid-Atlantic, you had um, Senator, uh, Senator Re- Congressman Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, um, Mr. Zeldin of New York, um, and, and so many Democrats, mm-hmm. Chairman Grijalva of the Natural Resources Committee, mm-hmm. um, Mr. Thompson from right there in Northern California has been a Mike. longtime champion and a great leader on this. Well, Mike, Mike I mean, we, 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 we know Mike well out here. He's our he's our congressman and he is he's wonderful. Absolutely much beloved. And I wanted to be sure we got <laughs> Mike's name into the picture yeah. here because he he definitely he, is. He a, has been so great. Right. Right. And yeah. his staff is fantastic. And they really have taken on a leadership role right. um, in trying to get this done. And I, I can't thank them enough. Great. We're speaking to John Judge, the uh, president of the um, uh, Appalachian Mountain Club, and uh, Amy Lindholm, the Appalachian Mountain Club staffer, who's also the coalition manager of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. We need to take a break. We're going to come back and talk more about this interesting topic, and we'll get a chance to unfold some of the stories about some the Appalachian Mountain Club and what how that's how how it's grown and how it's since the eight, late 1800s how it's been such an important force in outdoors so please stay with us we'll be back with you in just a moment and welcome back dr netho today joined by john judge the ceo of the appalachian mountain club and amy lindholm and we're talking about this wonderful new passage of the great american outdoors act august the 4th which is a historic victory for the national parks and forests. So even though we're talking to the Appalachian Mountain Club, which may, everybody will think, well, that's kind of the Northeast Corridor, this is, affects the whole country. And as we were just talking, Amy was just mentioning how our local um, congressperson was a significant player, Mike Thompson, of, of St. Helena here in the North Bay. And so uh, this has been a, a wonderful outcome. So let's coming back to... Um, the, the 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 situation itself. Mention who, who either of you two mention what what how was involved how involved were people like the Sierra Club and other other groups. Did you have a lot of involvement with these kinds of organizations all over the country, or was it really more focused? Mm-hmm. The Appalachian Mountain Club was really the major piece of the puzzle there. Well, there are, yeah, there are many groups who played lead roles um, in the LWCF coalition alongside us at the Appalachian Mountain Club. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition to the Sierra Club, the Trust for Public Land, the Nature Conservancy, um, and um, 
you know, <clears throat> many folks in the outdoor recreation industry, outdoor recreation round table and the outdoor industry association, big companies like Keen and Patagonia and REI mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, were instrumental and, and some of those like, you know, trade associations, folks who run campgrounds and build RVs. Um, and then also, you know, recreation user groups um, like the Access Fund and the International Mountain Bicycling Association and American Hiking Society um, and uh, American Whitewater. You know, everyone from um, snowmobilers to, to kayakers, right, and, and all everyone in between. But also veterans groups, hunting and fishing organizations, um, you know, a, a lot of folks associated with working forest timber companies. Um all kind of came together to to make this happen. Wonderful. Well, as I was reading this, Amy and John, uh, I one of the things that, questions that immediately came to mind for me, I wasn't familiar with this situation at all, uh, and so I had to kind of do a little homework on it. And what was in the back of my mind, I kept saying, well, what would Bill McKibben say about your funding source? And and so can we spend a minute or two, or two about how it is you, you're lashed, apparently you're lashed to your funding to the uh, oil and gas industry. Say, say a little bit about that, if you would. Sure. Um, well, you know, the Land and Water Conservation Fund was conceived as really an offset for for drawing down those natural resources offshore. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea was as you, you know, as you draw down a non-renewable resource, you should invest a portion of the profits in other, um, you know, permanent resources, natural resources that are non-renewable, like land and water. Um, And so, uh, you know, that's that's something that has been in place for over 50 years. Um, As we look at the changing energy mix, you know, it's true that um, non-renewable resources, even though they don't have the same carbon footprint that fossil fuels do, they do have an impact on land and water. Um, building big solar fields, building big wind turbines has a huge impact on land, water resources, and wildlife. Um, so I think having an offset, having conservation offset for almost any type of energy development makes sense. And as the energy mix changes, perhaps that will change. But for the moment, um, you know, this is a small piece of the, the LWCF spends only a small piece of the offshore royalties that are currently coming in without having to expand drilling at all. Um, you can pay for this many times over. Mm-hmm. So with the energy mix currently what it is, it makes sense for us to offset that by, you know, by setting aside a small portion of those profits for conservation under LWCF. Well, of course, that's that's a, a pretty way of framing it. But I but I wonder if if when you've when you've tied the basis of this really del- wonderful program to the the and perhaps I don't I just don't understand it. I'm sure that's probably also yeah. true. But the, when you talk about offsets, what what is the word offset? Help us understand what that means in terms of uh, the non-renewable resources and and using non-renewable resources as the funding base for this program, which you hope will go on, you know, indefinitely. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, I would say that this has been in place for, you know, more than 50 years. So um, it was was conceived as a balancing, right? Uh, You know, conservation offsets are pretty common parlance now, mitigation banking, um, you know, 
setting aside resources in one place to compensate for the development of resources someplace else. Okay. As long as we are as long as we are using energy of any kind, there will be impacts on on land and water, mm-hmm. um, and we'll need to compensate for that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <clears throat> whether it's whether it's the the type of fossil fuel development that's going on offshore, or whether it's building you know big solar arrays and wind turbines. Um, that's something that we're going to have to to deal with uh, no matter what. So I think that for the moment, um, the idea of passing full permanent funding for LWCF was to fulfill that in the original promise that was made over 50 years ago that was Mm -hmm. never uh, fully fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is the foundation from which we can move forward uh, in the future as the energy mix changes um, to go from there. But we needed to first establish that principle that we should uphold the offset in the first place um, okay. as it was as it was intended. That that helps a little bit, helps me a little bit understand a little, a little bit better because, of course, for those of us, I, I started doing solar energy advocacy in Washington in 19, in the, during the Nixon administration. And so um, it's been something that's been on my mind a very long time. And, of course, if, you, if your funding source is dependent on on uh, a fossil fuel, then then that 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 ties together something that then wants to go on and on. But let's not stay with that idea because there's no no place to go with it. Um, but let's let's move on to talking about the Appalachian Mountain Club. And one of the reasons that I I, I grew up on the Appalachian Mountain Club in a way because my my family are are, are Dartmouth College people and father and grandfather and everything and of course I, I also taught at Yale briefly and and so we've been in my family have been involved in the uh, the the, uh, the woods of, of New England for well since I was a child and since my grandfather's was a child so tell, tell us tell us about the Mount, Appalachian Mountain Club just in a broad way and give our listeners a little taste of kind of what it really is and how important it's been all these years judge John judge excuse me oh sure thank you um, yeah, it's it's really an honor for uh, me to be the CEO. I'm only the fourth CEO in our in our history, which is uh, we we're founded in 1876, so 144 years. And a large part of that has been because uh, at the uh, at the outset we were run by an incredible community of volunteers, and uh, that continues to be the case. Uh, we we're volunteer driven, and we have a you know despite a large geographic service area that's over 12 states and work that's happening around the country, and um, trips and programs are happening around the world. We have a, a modest uh, full-time staff, 160 folks in a full-time staff that are doing everything from building and maintaining over 2,000 miles of trails. We uh, we literally wrote the book uh, on trail building and, <laughs> and trail stewardship. Uh, we put on thousands of programs uh, during the year. So if you're interested in getting into cross-country skiing or ice climbing or hiking or kayaking, uh, we have you know programs and activities. And one of the neat things is that our membership is – Still, one of the greatest values out there. I, I know I'm not objective, but um, fifty dollars a year for a, um, a person to, to join the AMC and get a heck of 
a heck of a lot of free programs out of it, whether it be uh, leadership training or trips, but then also support the AMC work that's happening, the work that Amy does in conservation policy, the work that we're doing in conservation research. I mean, we've got the country's oldest climate change data showing, you know, snow snow levels and snowpack uh, in the White Mountains and in air quality and haze and and you name it. Um, We're doing a lot of work now on uh, resiliency, uh, resilient forests. Uh, we're uh, doing incredible amount of work on stream restoration. We're, we've been one of the largest groups, private groups, doing stream restoration. We've restored um, over 80 streams, uh, for instance, uh, just in the main woods, uh, and have a have a very robust uh, lodging business. We've got over 100 overnight facilities, and you know, nearly 200,000 guests that stay with us, and of course. Hundreds of thousands of people, uh, some say millions, that hike the trails that we uh, maintain and build and care for. So we're uh, we're very fortunate to have all these different uh, business units that are part of this uh, enduring and sustainable uh, organization that brings people to conservation stewardship by first introducing them to the fun of the outdoors. So um, it, it makes us different than, you know, some of the names that you named that might be purely conservation-related organizations. Well, that's, of course, for, for, excuse me, for, for, for our listeners uh, who, I mean, we're Sierra Club people out this way in terms of just by our location. And so is there, it's, it's what you've been saying is, is a lot of the sort of things that we are used to seeing from the Sierra Club, is there is there any way of discriminating, or is there any way of comparing the organizations at all in any useful way? Is it? Are, are you? You seem like you're such brothers in, in so many ways. But is there is there substantial differences between the AMC and the Sierra Club? And for instance, to our listeners who are, many of them are Sierra Club members, so they're just so give us the. If you have anything to say about that, maybe I'm just asking a silly question. But. No, no, it's not. It's not a silly question. Um, you know, we. We work in partnership with the Sierra Club um, in many, many ways. Uh, they they were founded about 20 years after us. Um, <laughs> right. so, well, you're you're uh, you're in New a, England. You're the old guys, anyway. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. that's right. But um, yeah, I'd say you know just in terms of how we're uh, set up, um, the the leadership training uh, piece and the programs that we do. Um, are, you know, you, you you look at their mission. Um, while they have, while they have programs and activities and so on, uh, it it really is the backbone um, of who we are. And then, of course, you know, doing trail building for as long as we do, and uh, not only trail building but trail training, whether it's beginning, you know, teams out there or sixteen hundred or so volunteers out every year, including the the folks in the Pacific Crest Trail and other uh, locations. And then um, the, the so, overnight facilities is a very big part of our operation that's not part of Sierra Club. The Sierra Club. Right. right. They, they, have a, they have a small They have a small hut system, but it's nothing like what the AMC has for sure. So you have almost 300,000 members so that you're obviously well-received and have been for a very long time. And so... Uh, 
you mentioned the Pacific Crest Trail. What is AMC and what is its connection to the Pacific Crest Trail? That's that's right here in our neighborhood. It is. It is. Um, and, and I'm often in your neighborhood. I've got a lot of friends in the Russian River Valley and oh, great. Uh, out at Mount Shasta. And, uh, so um, we love that uh, part of the country and are all you know, all thinking of all of you uh, as the uh, forest fires are uh, in and around um, California and Oregon and certainly around L.A. Please keep praying uh, for us. Yes. We will. We, every day. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, the outdoors belongs to everybody. So uh, like like us all being part of a, a human family, we're very, we're all connected and uh, need to uh, step up in terms of our stewardship of these, you know, stunning natural places. And that includes protecting them from development, but also protecting them from uh, climate, uh, extreme uh, weather events and, and, and climate change uh, events. But, you know, in terms of the Pacific Crest Trail or uh, maybe work that we're doing in Valley Forge uh, to work that we do uh, in the White Mountains or trail work that we do in Maine, uh, we have either professional or volunteer trails groups that get um, that get hired to go in. And, and this includes in other parts of the world, too. We're talking with a group from Ireland uh, about going back there and doing work. We do work in Costa Rica, do work in, um, in the Caribbean, but uh, we're we're no, we're known uh, for the you know the the the, the craftsmanship of the trails and um, the the women and men who go out and spend you know days putting in steps or water bars or removing invasive species or you know doing the the signage but it's it's incredibly hard uh, work but the, the trails that we do in the the steps that we put in and the, the other um, work that we do, we want it to last for decades. So there's a lot of love and, and, and hard work and, and, and sweat and tears that goes into it. But So we're, we're known for that. So in the Pacific Crest Trail, we've had you know, volunteer groups go out over the past few years, and, and we'll obviously continue to do that. So, so, so you're, you're the habitat for humanities for the trail, trail system, it sounds like. I mean, you know. <laughs> Wow, I've, I've never heard that. I used to work for Habitat for Humanity, so right. I think Millick Solar um, would uh, would smile at that. Oh, good. Um, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I think that it's a that's a great analogy. We we're really we've got to kind of reset. You know, this is everyone talks about the transition economy and and pivoting now. Um, but one of the things that we hope is that you know during these challenging COVID times that people are rediscovering the outdoors and the importance of the outdoors. And I think, you know, whether it be the Appalachian Mountain Club, AMC, at outdoors.org, or uh, the Sierra Club, or Trust for Public Land, or any of the other groups that um, Amy will tell you work with us, uh, we hope hope it buoys all of these groups because, you know, God knows we need more people involved with uh, getting out into nature and then stewarding nature as well, tending to tending to the land. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you both and to get a chance to hear this wonderful story. And of course, for our listeners who 
you know, we're, many of us were stuck at home or we're stuck in a much more limited way than we would choose to be. And of course, to have some good news like this, to, to see that the at least some part of the government, some part of the day, some, you know, some part of the year is able to get to come together and to create such a, an important lasting step. And to know that there are people like you two and, uh, and, and all the people that you're connected to, including the political leaders, it's, we, we need that good, night, good news. And so I was so happy to be able to see what you had accomplished and what good news was being produced by what you've done. So thank you both for taking the time for us today and for our listeners. For listeners who want to know more about this topic, either Amy or John, uh, what, where should they go online to read more about this uh, recent development? Sure. Well, you're certainly welcome to visit the AMC website at outdoors.org, outdoors.org. Okay. Uh, Amy? Yes, and the Land and Water Conservation Fund Coalition has a website, um, lwcfcoalition.org. We have a blog post about, you know, how the Great American Outdoors Act came to to pass into law um, and a lot of other resources about about the program. Um, Wonderful. Well, it's been a... It's, it's good to hear all these good things. And so keep up the good work, folks. And thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Good thank day you. now. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye now.